Grace Buetti Maui on our show. She is the owner of Poco Farms in Miners Oak over here in Ojai. She was actually born on Nantucket Island. She grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, and she grew up getting to eat organic produce, which she, her uncle owns Hutchins Organics in uh, Massachusetts, which is a produce farm, and they are actually one of the oldest organic farms, I think, Grace can correct mm-hmm. me, but it's been like 40 years certified organic, which is amazing. So she got to be very lucky growing up eating organic food, which has a lot to do with where she's at now. We'll get to that. Um, she moved to Ojai to go to Thatcher uh, as a teenager. Her parents were like, yeah, you can go to Ojai. Was that like a <laughs> because you were a rebellious teenager? Or oh, because yeah. yeah because, okay. I, because like, yeah, it was the best thing for me to be 3,000 miles away from home. <laughs> okay. Everybody thought, yep, now, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then her dad actually ended up uh, teaching at Thatcher, and the lucky students of Thatcher who get to take his class get to learn wood, wood shop and woodworking. Um, she lived in Lompoc for a while, had a beautiful garden there, and when she was younger, she worked at Farmer and the Cook and was extremely inspired by Steve Sprinkle, learned a lot from him. Um, she's now married to Dan Malloy. I'm sure I missed a lot in the middle, but... That's a great overview. I did that well because we've already recorded this episode once. <laughs> we had a little uh, technical, we had a technical few, error. Uh, Stephanie has learned her lesson. <laughs> Let's just say that. But the amazing Grace uh, is, is recording She with was us again. extremely energetic about coming back because we talked about so many cool things. And as anybody who's recorded with us always wish that they talked about all the other amazing cool things. So there's always more cool things to talk about. So we're here to do it today. Grace, can you go ahead and jump in and kind of talk to us about how Poco Farms got started, um, when it started, the inspiration behind it? Uh, what is mm-hmm. it? <laughs> so Poco Farm is a two-acre teaching farm in uh, downtown Miners Oaks. So it's unusual on a number of levels. It's micro size, for one. Um, it's run by a woman, myself, which is also um, really rare. The average American farm business owner, not the farm worker, but the farm business owner is uh, 58. That was a statistic from like five years ago, wow. white and male. So, um, and it was 58% white male. No, sorry. No, 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 58 no. years old. Yo, yeah. Oh, white oh, and male. Oh, oh. Yeah, which, okay. you know, I don't know too many 58-year-olds that are, you know, able to run around on their hands and knees all day. So it's a lot of, it tells you a lot about what American farming looks like. A right. lot of equipment mm-hmm. operation. Um, and that the owners of the businesses aren't necessarily doing the work. Right. Um, it's very urban, our farm. We share fence lines with 12 neighbors, and we have, like, another six that look right onto our property. So that, you know, presents lovely opportunities and a lot of community and also challenges. Like, we don't want things to be too smelly or too loud yeah. and start equipment too early, whatever it is. Um, and then we share land with Steel Acres, which is uh, – they grow certified organic produce, also run – primarily by a woman. Um, we're both Emily Stahlberg, who um, runs Steel Acres. Um, and her, let's see, her husband works for Patagonia. My husband works for Patagonia. A lot of similarities. Some mm-hmm. shout outs. Yeah, we have good health insurance. <laughs> yeah. um, Most importantly. And so it, it presents a lot of opportunities because 
I can, you know, teach kids about veggies or what I know about growing veggies, which isn't a whole bunch, but um, in the same, you know, in the same space as learning about dairy goats and chickens and pigs and um, everything that comes up with that meat production and What are you mostly growing on Poco Farm? Yeah, thank you. Um, We have an acre of citrus, and we're constantly changing things all the time. Right now we're rotating out a lot of the trees. Um, We have like 35 stone fruit trees, and then um, we run our our laying chickens underneath the trees. Um, We sell our eggs to Farmer and the Cook there. And then um, we have dairy goats, and I make goat milk soap. Um, and many yes, other which things from their you milk. are so generous to give us, and it's so amazing. I know, it's I kind love of luxurious, it. very <laughs> it Cleopatra is. style. Yeah, it is really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. And so, when we were at um, your space last time, there's a few things I want to touch on. First of all, it is a very like communal space. When we pulled mm-hmm. up, there was this cute little kid on a skateboard that I was just like, oh, he must live in this neighborhood. And then when you showed up, he's like, big hug, hello, Grace. Like, and then he just like went into the space and Mm -hmm. he seemed to like know the space really well and was obviously welcome which is really cute and Mm -hmm. awesome and then the other thing that I thought was so cool was that farm and the cook provides scraps for your chickens it's Mm -hmm. so like full circle it Mm -hmm. seems like well the hope is that someday we'd be pretty close to not having inputs you know that that come from outside of our valley so right now like I do feed some chicken feed and I do feed um Sally Fox, the amazing farmer from up north, her biodynamic certified organic alfalfa hay to my goats. So um, eventually the dream is that it would be more closed circle um, for really neat, um, like, example of that. Check out Essex Farm in upstate New York. Um, There's, it's a husband and wife pair and the wife was a, a journalist in New York City, fell in love with a farmer for all the romantic reasons that everybody <laughs> says, like, oh, I've always wanted to farm and raise animals. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Come over <laughs> at midnight in the springtime when the goat's giving birth and, Let's see how you know, it works out. Everything's, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and anyhow, she wrote a book called The Dirty Life that is just phenomenal. It's really, really fun read. And um, they use a lot of horses to, to farm rather than tractors. Um, and they, they have like a all you can eat CSA program, community supported agriculture program. So you buy a membership in their community, you play, pay a flat fee for the year. It could be, you know, in, in payment installments. And then you get grains, meat, dairy, sweeteners, you know, cause they have their own sugar bush. They make their own maple syrup Ooh. and their own honey. And so what they're trying to do is provide like everything. And our concept is that, you know, in the next decade or two, hopefully we would be able to provide education about almost all aspects of agriculture from food to fiber production. So that's why, you know, I have like two Meyer lemon trees and two cotton plants and, you know. Yeah. A little bit of everything as a teaching tool. Yeah, you're diversifying so that you can be a one-stop shop. Yeah, in the teaching department, you know, we're walking distance to 2,500 students at six schools. So in this small valley, that's a really great opportunity to touch a lot of kids' lives and and get them fired up. Just get them to care about what they're eating. Who cares, you know, yeah. how that happens. If it's holding a baby goat or getting really dirty or getting grossed out even gets kids interested. <laughs> yeah. So whatever helps them engage um, 
somebody said to me once, uh, what the hands do, the heart learns. And that's been like a motto for us, which I just love. So that's what I'm trying to explain to like heads of school or teachers about why they should spend the time and energy getting their kids out to farms, much less the money. Um, it's what we're always talking about is like, you can book learn these kids all about this stuff as much as you want, but the actual like cultural heart change doesn't happen until they, you know, feel the baby goats kick in the mama's belly or whatever it is that engages them on that level. Yeah. Do you mind giving us an example of like some of your curriculum? Like what would, what would one lesson might Mm-hmm. look at yeah so we have like six or seven main stations of curriculum right now uh going over things like um low impact living you know solar all those kinds of things um animal husbandry and um maybe milking a goat or holding a baby goat and talking about the anatomy and how their bodies work and why do people want to eat them <laughs> and um you know what like the meat industry looks like and and how we can make really simple easy changes um as far as our consumption of meat and then um gosh we teach about fiber systems we teach about water use and it's just always changing we're updating our curricula all the time but yeah and I thought something fascinating that we've talked about before was we kind of dove into the fiber program and you Mm -hmm. were talking to us about the fiber shed Mm -hmm. uh, project yeah um we're like gigantic fans of the fiber shed project which is a nonprofit that it's been neat to see its evolution over time like I got into it because I read Rebecca Burgess who's the founder of that nonprofit her book on um natural dyes and which is a great book and I can't remember the title right now but it's by Rebecca Stephanie's Burgess kind of dabbling in some natural dyes yeah. right now yeah. it's so fun that's I have like a one avocado of them. pot going right now Ooh, with yeah we're gonna make a a new rug for our kitchen so mm-hmm. we're dyeing them a beautiful like it's almost like a purpley pink going yep. on right now yeah very cool yeah so fun so witchy it, it just is. feels like and and it can get really dank and stinky and oh my gross god and I hate the smell of it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well also I just love that it's so simple to me like it's such a simple craft mm-hmm. you just save your avocado pits you wash them a little bit I put them in the windowsill and then mm-hmm. I can make I just I, I just love it yeah so much and the same thing goes for like onion skins and like all these weird weeds that are super invasive that you can like help out the natural surroundings yeah like when you walked in and you saw those clovers that I hate to death and you're like you could die with those now I kind of like them I know I'm kind of liking the way they look a little bit more now Mm -hmm. (laughs) anything that helps like Dan and I were walking through the farm the other day and I was like man this is a lot of mulva that we're that we have right now what the hell is mulva yeah what is that sounds like a um, mallow or cheese wheel oh yeah I'm sure you have some in here somewhere um, looking around the yard right now. Um, but it's, it's got a really nice tap root. So in like compacted soils, like along our pathways and things like that, it really likes to grow. And I was like, you know, Dan, I just like, I want to spread this mulva seed because it's different if you're growing row crops and veggies and you really need to keep weeds out of there. But where we're growing, like I don't have any weeds underneath my citrus anymore because the chickens eat all of them yeah. and it's like a problem. I need more. Yeah. So, um, I just ground cover is awesome. And that's another piece of fiber sheds work actually is on like 
the carbon impact of fiber systems. So, you know, we think about like food coming from farms, but we don't always think about our fiber or hopefully a large part of our wardrobe also comes from farms. If it's not coming from farms, it's coming from, you know, petroleum and chemical factories. So yeah, I um, think it's safe to say most people don't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just massively impactful. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. And, um, so anyhow, they are doing a lot of research right now about um, carbon beneficial ways of farming fiber. So I actually have um, a wool shirt that was um, made by a tailor. I think there were like just 30 of them made or something like that from um, carbon beneficial wool from a farm that uses techniques that actually sequester more carbon, just grazing techniques and compost. Oh, amazing. Um and so, and then that fabric doesn't have to travel very far, just to Houston Textile Company, which is up, um, I think, in Marin County, I'm pretty sure. And then they make this beautiful fabric, and it was sewn by, you know, right there by a tailor, and then um, I get to wear it. So, yeah. It what color me, is it? It's, right now, it's off-white, <laughs> because that's the natural color of the wool. But once it gets dirty enough, I'll dye that's it. That's right. Um, but... It's pretty amazing to have. It cost me, I think it was like two hundred and eighty dollars. So, which is like mind blowing yeah. for all these yeah. children, and I mean yeah. everyone. It's so much money compared to what we normally spend on our clothing. But if we think about cost per wear, I will, I will mend that item of clothing and dye it different colors and keep it for the rest of my Why life. Why was it two hundred and eighty nine? Right. So it was that much money because our whole, you know, industrialized clothing system is based upon like basically using you know bad laws in other country to make our clothing cheaper so that's labor laws and environmental laws and um gosh like the benefits of shipping things all over the world and trading international trade and all that stuff so um unfortunately it's it's not we talked about this last time too true cost accounting so it's this concept that like if we were actually paying for the true cost to our global human planet of buying that item of clothing from H&M that cost you $10, you know, but was a huge environmental and social impact, um, you know, to get to you and is going to fall apart in five seconds. So like (laughs) the cost per wear there actually might be more like a dollar per wear because you wear it 10 times and it falls apart. Um, Whereas my, my shirt, the true cost of it is, you know, much, much lower because it's benefiting the climate. It's like supporting a small female farm, you know, farm, um, female run farm and a small, you know, there's just like all these people whose lives are lifted up by this kind of production and it's beautiful. And, um, and you're going to wear it. I want it. I know I want it too. (laughs) I haven't seen it, but I want it. You're going to wear the hell out of it. Yeah, I am. Uh, Not, the rest of the summer, it's kind of hot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's some of the work that the Fiber Shed does that's really inspiring to us. So now my mother, who's a weaver and lives right around the corner, Allie and I, um, teach a station to all of our students about um, the impact of our fiber systems. And there's there's so much more to be said about, like, cotton production. and I mean, so much yeah. to learn. You just have to come to the farm for a quick tour. And there I'll you go. Pack so it all in. To change sub- subjects here really quick. So I know you have some chickens on mm-hmm. property. I do. Do you sell your eggs at the farmer's market or just to local people? Mm-hmm. And 
can you kind of touch on like the difference between the eggs that you're growing and the eggs that I might buy at Fawn? Yeah. So this is one of our most fun pieces of curriculum because it's like a really easy take home piece of information. So um, our eggs, we don't sell at the, at the Ojai Farmer's Market. Part of the reason for that is um, I've never tried to get in, but a lot of people sell eggs there. I don't produce, I mean, my chickens produce like 35 eggs a day. It's not a whole lot. I just have, you know, 40 some chickens. So Oh my um, gosh, that's way more than I thought, actually, <laughs> no, to be honest. I feel like I saw like five when we well, were there. it's because they're spread out because yeah. they are pasture raised. And so ding, that's, ding, ding. yep, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you guys asked me last time about our goal, our vision for the farm in the long term. And for me, one of the major pieces of that is I want like every human in Ojai to be able to walk into where they get their food from, whether it's their garden or Vons or, um, you know, Walmart or whatever. And to be able to like pick up an item and then just like see flashes of pictures of what, you know, the production of that food product creates in the world. So everyone who touches it, everywhere it goes, um, you know, the different like environmental impacts of that food, um, how the animal lived, all these different things, and then be able to make informed decisions. And, um, a lot of people are like, well, not everybody can afford organic, which is just like really a load of hooey. Like everybody can afford organic food because you can grow it in your backyard because I'm here and so happy to trade you. And, you know, for your work, because like you go up to any of those farmers at the farmer's market and say, I can't, I can't afford to pay for what you've got, but I really want it for my family. What can we do? And like, you will get that food. Also, you know, if you're paying for a cell phone, you can afford to put good food in your body. Um, Yeah. I feel like you used a term last time when we were talking about this, about Mm -hmm. like, it was probably true cost accounting. True I cost really accounting. like that, that Yeah. So like, you were like, yeah. What are you really spending your money on? Right. And so where like, can you change? Right. So the true cost of like spending your money on, you know, your kids' five cell phones or whatever it is, is that they're going to, you know, they still make Nokia's, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need an iPhone. Yeah. You really don't need an iPhone. Yeah. Um, Dan and I are interviewing new people to come be a livestock assistant manager at our place. And um, one of the gals has a, an old flip phone. And it's like the number one, like, has a flip phone. Like, oh, the yeah. Number Bolded, one thing we love highlighted, about her. underlined. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it, what is the effect of that piece of technology or spending money in that in that way versus like spending it on the the fuel for your body and you know if you choose to fuel your body with like uh, you know um mcdonald's or whatever it is yeah then like you will pay the consequences for that later on in your life it's gonna give you you know cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all these things so um and like what we just talked about like if you spend that money better for you better for your community better mm-hmm. for these people mm-hmm. in your community better for these reaction. farmers mm-hmm. and here's the thing is like I think it's just important to have the information like what you actually choose to do with it is is completely up to you and but like what if you really understood what you were supporting every time you picked that up and you thought about like oh okay you know what, what do the marketing team sit around and think about and who is the marketing team are they people like me or 
are they in the same income bracket yeah. as me? What's Who's their making mission these statement? decisions what for is, me? Yeah, right what is now? the point of their business? Yeah. Is it to do good or is right. it literally just to make money? Right. So, you know, the true cost of that McDonald's hamburger versus like Watkins, our awesome local grass fed beef company, like, um, you know, there are so many different impacts of those things. So, um, there's like the water impact of those different choices. There's oh my the goodness. climate impact. There's the, um, impact upon your body of like eating all those antibiotics that that animal had, um, at McDonald's, you know, that, and what kind of life they lived and how many, how much the people who are working for that company yeah. get paid and all those things. Deforestation. Right. <laughs> so the true cost of that, yeah. that, that McDonald's burger is actually a lot higher and the true cost of our Watkins burger that you can get at like, Oh, high frosty and gosh, a number of places in town. Papa Lennon's uses their meat for their meatballs. There's much places to get it, but the true cost is a lot lower. Um, so unfortunately our current economic system doesn't reflect that. Yeah. But bas- back to just quickly pasture raised eggs. So, Oh yes. Let's get this um, down. This is, we do this with everybody that comes onto the land. So, um, cage free is a hot term right now. And if we can just visualize what cage-free means, if you use those words on your box, you can't put the animals in small cages. But they are in a big warehouse, and you might have like five or 10,000 chickens in one warehouse. And there are no longer stacks of cages. There aren't, you know, between like one and five birds per so cage. So they, they probably are having less birds technically yep, because you're mm-hmm. losing height. Yeah, yes. It's like a skyline yep, building. Totally. But they're still super cramped, yeah. you know, they're still, can they stretch their wings and no. run around and all those, and are they you were saying on each that other? chickens are kind of mean. Well, they, not it's, mean, it's, they're <laughs> smart. They're, they're like, smart in weird ways. Yeah. Like they're smart about pecking order. They're kind of like teenagers. Like they can check each other out and they're like, okay, I'm dominant over you. You know, like it's like the mafia in these r- warehouses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Mafia. Which it is actually the perfect <laughs> like segue to what the term free range means, which is what everybody gets free range eggs and feels really good about it because that was what I called my you know system of egg production five years ago until the industry got a hold of it. And uh, free range now just means, at, as far as I've read and like recently updated. Um, free range only means they have to have access to the outdoors. So there's no specifications as to like how large that space is. Um, can they, can they like move around in that space? Like, yeah. Uh, there's no regulation. Is there concrete on the ground? Right. Is there a roof? Anything like that. So, um, free range looks just like that cage free warehouse only there's a, like a little pen off the side and it could be large but and maybe I mean, only like the cool chickens get to go because exactly of the order. then like the godfather stands <laughs> right. in the doorway and he's like mm-hmm. no way time for good behavior right exactly exactly <laughs> so um and that's why you know um farmers had to come up with pasture pasture raised which is um means 108 square feet of outdoor space per bird um, it has specifications. That's pretty for, great. Yeah. Like That's they have to be great. outside for all daylight hours. They have to be um, wow. safely locked up at night in a coop so that nothing can get at them. They have to be rotated around to different areas of a, of a pasture or an So all 40 of your chickens get in the coop at the end of the night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always been curious about this because I've really wanted, we've really wanted to have chickens here. Mm-hmm. They 
they kind of get into a routine, right? Yes. They get themselves yeah. to bed, basically. They're like, mm-hmm. it's the night time's happening. I got to go. I know mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do this thing. Yeah. And I've had friends who have like solar doors on their chicken coop so that they could be like away for a few days and just leave enough feed oh. for them. But there, I've also heard ugly stories of like if that solar door yeah. comes down upon a chicken. Oh, can no. Be Nikki, you know? yeah. So you didn't have to train them? You're just like, here's your coop. Oh, oh I mean, go out. Are you to like, do you to like herd them? Well, so we raise them, you know, in the coop, like as little chicks. Yeah. So they, they kind of grow into the space. And then when they get large enough to like, you know, not be significantly threatened by like little Cooper's hawks and things like that, then we'll let them out. Um, but occasionally some of them choose to roost in our citrus trees instead of inside and natural selection sometimes happens in that situation. Usually raccoons. raccoons. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know how many chickens I have. I count them on the regular. I know when they're out because I come to let them out in the morning and there's one already in the pen. So I'll find where that one is and move it a few times. And usually they, they pick up on like, this is, Do you have I a need favorite to be inside. Chicken? Well, actually, so normally people ask me, like, do you name, do you name oh. your pigs? How could you name your pigs and then eat them? And I'm like, well, because I love them. Yeah. And I cry on on butchering day. And, like, it's a, it's really emotional. Oh Same God. way, like, I'm it's way right more now. emotional for me to eat a McDonald's burger because I know how those guys lived. And it's horrible. So, like, you know, I'd, I'd much rather mm. eat my own pigs for that reason. But, um where were we oh favorite chicken there's one chicken that usually we like rotate our chickens out every couple years because they start to go down in production our egg layers um and so i try to do that by finding families who like don't want to deal with chicks would love to have a few chickens that that lay like pretty decently but they want to have like pet chickens and i'll pass them on that way um i have totally made soup from from chickens before um but I, there's one chicken that I just like <laughs> has stuck of. around. She's like seven or eight years old. Uh, we call her Hoppy because something about the way she hatched was unusual. And instead of when she goes to run, instead of running, she hops and Aww. she's real cute. What color is she? She's like grayish. She's, she was a mix between an Americana and a, and a bar. I rock. love Hoppy. Yeah. Super cute. Okay. Um, so, so the name of your farm. Let's go through that. Oh, yeah. How did so, you name your farm? Mm-hmm. A name is hard. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's really tricky. And we're actually branding yourself and then you have to go with it. Totally. We're trying to, we're in the process of starting a nonprofit to make our educational programs more available in the Valley and expand them more. Um, and naming that is just impossible. Is it killing you? Yeah. yeah. The, the nonprofit can't be the same as like your well, farm's name or it just has to be like a completely separate entity. We would really like it to be. Um, I mean, obviously, like, for legal reasons, it has to be a separate entity because, um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we really want it to be a separate entity because, like, how I got into teaching kids on farms was I worked for Steve Sprinkle on his farm and helping out with his CSA. And he was like, you know, I'd, I'd see these mothers come up to him like, please let my kid come out to your farm. They're just so interested in this stuff or I'm, they won't eat tomatoes. And I just want to, I feel like if they pick them, maybe they will. And he was just too busy, like all farmers way too busy. And so, um, I was like, well, you know, I could, I could show them around. And that's how I got started teaching is we started doing farm tours and things like that. So, um, that's the, the concept is we're making a space for that. And hopefully that, 
we would be able to like hire either ourselves or other farmers to teach on other farms as well. So you could go see Churchill Orchards in the East End, or you could go see Rancho del Pueblo, Farmer and the Cook's Farm, or, you know, some of these like smaller little veggie farms that are popping up here and there with these really motivated, like early twenties kids, you know, um, so that students could get a lot more experience. Um, so we'd like to have it be a separate entity, so we don't want to name it Poco. Um, but the, yeah, so Poco Farm, and it's farm, not farms. Yeah, oh, sorry. sorry. I do no, that. No, no. I do that Everyone every time. Everyone does it, and it's so creepy. Wow, because, why do like, we do that? Yeah. I do it. It's so because... So people do that with restaurant names, too, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to know. They yeah. do it with, okay. like, all restaurant names. It's so weird. But it's, thing. like, possessive, right? Like, Mary's. No, it's, like, multiple. Oh. They do it huh. really weird. It's really weird. Okay, same, so Poco same usage. Farm. Yeah, and... and Everybody calling it Poco Farms or in, in general calling a farm something plural is kind of creepy to me because like we're used to buying lettuce mix, you know, from Trader Joe's. Yeah. It's in a plastic container and it says farms on it, which really means it's like a packing house that serves, you know, 30 farms. Okay, wait, that farms makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The brand, I get where you're coming from. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so we are singular. There's only one. It's super tiny. <laughs> and and we're total greenhorns. We're, like, really just getting started. We've only been at this for, you know, uh, in this space for four or five years now. So um, comes from my husband, who, from the beginning of our relationship, has always told me, poco a poco, little by little, um, slow down. <laughs> because so sweet. I'm, like, you know, a pretty type A get her done I have like a really active imagination and I tend to you know be relatively able to like make these things happen if oh, I yeah. put enough time Grace, in. Grace and I are very similar mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah which is it's a sickness. I know but my partner it scares me. Really my bad. partner totally balances at me and like mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be able to slow down mm-hmm. if I didn't have someone like him in totally. my life to like yeah. basically make literally me literally ball and chain. <laughs> yeah. Like you need somebody to ground you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said last time that like stuck with me so hard and inspired me and made me feel amazing was that slowing down is like a revolutionary act mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see this, I'm a birth doula as well. And I see this so much oh, with yes. women. Like you cannot Let's talk about this, <laughs> you, you know, uh, from what I can see, like, it's very rare that you can let your body go into labor. If you're like, you know, thinking about a million things and working really hard and like in this, like really active computer brain state that like my brain really likes. So it, yeah. it's addicted to that and it stays in it. And um, for me, like I, I am just learning more and more that slowing down has to be this like really loving, compassionate act for my community, for yes, my marriage. It lets you be better. Yes, totally. And that like, I'm not serving the people I love and the kids that we teach or and definitely not my husband. If I like keep going at a certain clip, what's your favorite self-care uh, oh. like act or routine? Well, my husband got really into the Wim Hof breathing, the most efficient self-care act what that I this? do. Wow. Okay, so this this guy Wim Hof, look him up, W-I-M space H-O-F is, um, I think he's in his 80s now maybe, but they call him the Iceman. He got really into um, like when he was grieving for his wife who actually um, took her own life. He was like getting into ice water and he found that that was one of the only places that he could like 
really take deep breaths and center himself. Yeah, and like cryotherapy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So my husband does these like ice baths with his buddies and <laughs> um and then they they actually they call it the suffer club. He's going to kill me That's for saying really this. That's really cute. They, like Wait, they motivate each I other love and then that. they come over and they meditate. Don't oh. tell anybody. And they <laughs> Men meditate. I know. Shocking. Oh. Really manly men with big mustaches. Um and then they do this Wim Hof breathing technique, which is really cool. And when, you know, when I've had anxiety, which I have from time to time, um, if I can remember to do it, because the anxiety makes me forget that I have tools. But of course. W- right. When I do remember, I do this breathing technique, which is basically like really deep in and out breaths kind of rapidly. So you like hyper oxygenate your body and it helps like reset your parasympathetic nervous system in a really beautiful way. Amazing. I think as human, as animals, I think as animals, we're very intuitive with what's going on. And every time I have anxiety, I literally, my brain tells me that there's a lack of oxygen in my body because Mm -hmm. I'm tensing up. I'm not Mm -hmm. breathing as much as I should. It also happens a lot when I'm doing things like making pottery or cooking and focusing for some reason. I Mm -hmm. forget to breathe and then I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then you want to focus on that anxiety instead of focusing on the tools that you have Totally. for some reason. I I love to wallow in my anxiety a little bit, (laughs) just for a little bit. Well, it's a real good, like excuse for not showing up for yourself and for everyone you love and yeah and for people that move really fast like yeah. us I think I'm looking for an excuse I know and I'm like let me use this anxiety to slow me down instead yeah. of like just taking care of myself just slow yeah down. <laughs> yeah I have a, a friend of mine says like put it in your anxiety bucket like oh you're you know waiting on that phone call or like your burrito didn't come out just right or whatever you just like keep adding that to your anxiety bucket until it gets full enough that you can like completely freak out yeah and and it's really just like a a place that you put, you know, that you put things that yeah. don't need to be there. Right. It's, you know, who cares about your burrito or whatever. <laughs> I move on. Yeah, exactly. How many meals are you going to have in your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a good, that Wim Hof breathing is a really nice I need to look relief technique into that. for me. And then taking walks and, oh, you know. I love a good walk. River dunks and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that there's such a skewed idea about self-care right now. Mm-hmm. Like, don't go buy a million pieces of clothes. That's not self. Yeah. That's not real self care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't that's know. Fair. I think that that mm-hmm. needs to be relooked at right now for women, especially. Yeah, and even like going to yoga is phenomenal. Yeah, you know, it really helps. But it's still like, you know, paying I can't money afford yoga. You can, you can just, you right. guys. Yeah, YouTube. I keep telling everyone who like doesn't want to pay to do yoga. Mm-hmm. YouTube has mm-hmm. the best best the yoga videos yeah grace what is your favorite age group to teach on the farm and eh, geez well i have a real soft spot for nine to 13 year old girls um because i was once one and it's a it's a really challenging time in life and i also think it's like this sweet spot for like this explosion of personal growth and so our fir- our very first summer camps were for that age group um but Oh gosh, all of them, like even just babes in arms who can't even walk yet have amazing things to show me about the farm. And, um, so I like, I don't like to call myself a teacher or an educator. Um, but you because are it's like, right, right. But it feels like hierarchical. I'd rather be like a facilitator or like a co-learner or yeah. a friend, well, you yeah. know, because it's, I'm learning from them as much as they are learning from me. Which is so cool. Mm-hmm. You're giving yourself an extra resource by having extra, like, oh hands and everything on the so farm. It's so fun. It's so much fun. There's this one really sweet kid that we, he had, like, 
most beautiful buck teeth and freckles oh my and goodness. braces who showed up at one of our, our like fourth grade visits that we do through the school district. Um, and I was like, well, you know, we're here today to learn about farming. And he's like, oh my God, I love foaming. <laughs> and just like so fired up and just what he didn't even know he was to about say. to get into. Yeah. Little Rodrigo, our like, buddy Rodrigo. How do you love farming, Rodrigo? You don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was think? a different kid, but Rodrigo oh. said, um, I love working at Poco Farm. It's like working on a rainbow. Oh. And I just like, okay. Oh. He says things like that all day long, that kid. I just, I have a hard time not stealing them. Like the, all these children that come onto the farm, I'm like, no, no, you could just stay. You can just stay. Yeah. Cause it, they just make life so much brighter. And I think I say this as someone who's like not yet a mother because you know, all day, every day is probably pretty different, but mm-hmm. um, it's such a joy to have them out in those two hour chunks. So we kind of briefly talked about it, but you're a birth doula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we, can you explain what this is? Yes. Yeah. So a doula is, I think it's a Greek term. Is it a doula or is it? Um, like I am, I am a doula. Okay. Sorry. I am also a friend. I am also a woman. Okay. Got it. Got it. 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 (laughs) It's Um, like adding the S. Right. Yeah. That's why I wanted to clarify. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Totally. So, um, the term doula, I think is a Greek was derived from a Greek word for, um, female slave. Um, but it's someone who's completely there for, you know, in service to someone's birth process. So that might mean like preconception, prenatal, postpartum, and the actual birth itself. Um, you know, it's all part of the process for sure. And so I'm a birth doula. And so I like help with prenatal prep, um, preparation for birth. It's a non-medical position. I don't give medical advice. Um, I, so did you have to get certified or go through some mm-hmm. sort of training? I did. And I went through a few trainings with Dona. I think it's like doulas of North America that were pretty useless. They like told you which plastic massage tools to buy, but you know, <laughs> they're just the, selling. <laughs> right. But then I did a training with birthing from within, which is like Oh, it's kind of like Lamaze or one of these other like realms of birth education. But um, they they teach about birth as like the hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell style, like um, like as as a spiritual experience. And um, do you vibe with that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, in, you know, in order to give birth like well, gosh, quickly or openly or freely or, um, you know, without um, unnecessary angst or trauma, you have to feel safe, like, yeah, um, and you have to feel surrounded by support. Yeah, a hospital can be a scary place. So are most of these, I guess if you're being a doula for someone, they Mm want to have an at-home birth or? Um, No, there are lots of births who... Um, or women giving birth in the hospital who like doulas and, and need doulas. I mean, the statistics on, like, if you hire a doula to be with you in during birth, your, like, likelihood of having a C-section drops dramatically. Whoa, whoa, it's whoa, it's whoa. a huge help because – so I've been to, like, somewhere around 50 births now, which is, like, That's so amazing. not a lot in the grand scheme of things. But so I've, I've more, like – 50 more than I've been to. Right. <laughs> I've been to one, baby, my own. Ooh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have, and you absorbed a lot of that experience. There's – oh, my gosh, there's really cool work being done on, like, perinatal psychology and, like, um, you know, how our own births affect our – 
experiences of life. My mm. sister likes to tease me because when my mom gave birth to me on the last push, mm. I wasn't the only thing that came out. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so my sister calls me a skid mark. Oh, <laughs> And That's I have sweet. this really silly, like, birthmark on my back that mm-hmm. almost looks like a part of a skid mark. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all got to come out. That's me, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what's the big difference between a midwife oh, yeah. and a doula? A midwife is, like, tons of training. Okay. Lots of medical responsibility. Okay. A doula has no medical responsibility um, or, or ability. We are, like, the grandma that attends all the local births. Okay. Who's seen it a whole bunch of times and is like, you know what? Let's maybe... Put your sheet up. Maybe we could try breathing like this or like, yeah. Or why don't you try this position if that's a little intense for you right now or, you know. Do you think, um, my brain just made this connection. Do you Mm. think that the doula is so special and necessary because a woman has a woman present that like Mm. is helping her through this and it's less about like the male woman partnership and it's Mm. more about like a woman being there as somebody like having a grandma figure there Mm -hmm. maybe. I don't know. That just came to me. I think that's part of it. I mean, um, I haven't given birth yet, so, um, you know, I don't have necessarily any more experience of it happening in my body than a male partner might. But, um, I, I think that it's about sisterhood for sure. Um, it's just about like someone just to be, and this is what I love about being a doula is you show up at a birth and you're just like yourself kind of dissolves other than like needing to you know, feed yourself and hydrate so that you don't fall over and you can still be useful. Like you might be there for 48 hours and, um, it's just like taking deep breaths over and over and over again with an incredibly strong and soft and beautiful person as they go through the most meaningful moment, you know, many, many moments usually of their life to, to, you know, fall in love with this new person and their family it feels like cheating when I'm there. I'm like, uh, how is anyone letting me do this? <laughs> this is so special. Yeah, the way you just described it is like so touching. It's such Jeez. a privilege. I just, I can't believe I still get to do it. It's really, really fun. So do these women like seek you out or are mm-hmm. you partnered with like a birthing center mm-hmm. or how do people find, like, how do people find doulas? Yeah. Like do you interview, like, do I vibe with this doula? Is it yes. a Craigslist situation? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think so. Um, there, you, I, I think That's the best be way my to find a doula business. is call, or actually don't call midwives. They're sleeping. Um, email a midwife and ask them for good referrals because they usually know, like, who's on the scene right now because, um, you know, doulas, like, have babies and take a few years off or get burnt out or whatever it is. Um or call a birth center. Usually the I, hospitals aren't usually very supportive. Of yeah, doulas. I'm guessing they're not recommending because it's kind of a li- liability. Well, and we too. tend to whisper things like, you know, the doctor is saying that like it's not a choice, but you actually do have a choice. You could ask what your choices are, you know, or like you're giving them you some power to have monitoring all the time. You could take that fetal monitor off so that you can walk around or, you know, whatever it is. And so Sometimes we make life a little more difficult for those nurses, which is awful because the nurses are so fabulous. Like at CMH, the nurses are phenomenal. Doing the work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All night, every night. So um, anyhow, but yes, you you can find a doula through the internet or through a friend who had a doula. Yeah. So let's say there's a woman in Ohio listening to this who's pregnant and interested in a doula. What, What would your advice to her be? Well, my advice to all 
women who are pregnant is to contact a midwife just for resources in general. Like, so you want to give birth in the hospital, go for it. How do you find a midwife? Well, Mary Jackson. Um, works <laughs> yeah, in do town you, and do you literally like, just mm. Google, like, Concord, California midwife? Yep. Okay. Totally. And, um, cool. And then it, Google the nearest city if that's a problem. Yeah. But they, they're great resources just prenatally. Like, yeah. you could see a midwife um, who has a home birth practice, like, through your through your prenatal period just to have more than like eight minutes with your care provider just to have better care prenatally and postpartum and then give birth with an OBGYN in the hospital. Like there, there are many ways to do this. Yeah. I like how you just said that you can have more than eight minutes because I feel like a lot of pregnant women that I know Mm -hmm. are a so, 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 so excited about their doctor visits. Mm -hmm. Like so, so, so excited Yep. and like constantly feeling like they want more from that. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, like midwives come to your house and they sit on your couch and they let your kid hold the Doppler and they talk you through all your fears and, and like give you all the information you need to make your own informed decision. Like informed consent is something that gets threatened a bit in the hospital system. Um, just because it, it just works really differently. Well, and yeah, midwives I, tend to do that really yeah, differently. I want to tie it back to buying eggs. It's like a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. gives these people so much power. Yeah. You which, know? which is also like, again, like no judgment. Give birth in the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. Like do it. Do, do what feels wherever right. Wherever you feel safe. <laughs> yeah. But don't be afraid to ask questions. And when you don't get an answer, like if, if your care provider gives you an answer that like gut feeling doesn't feel right like you have the power to make any decision that you want and about your body. So like really, I feel so empowered. I know I'm like, I'm ready to give birth. (laughs) Well, And you can see a midwife without being pregnant too. Like you can see them just for well woman care. Like you don't want to go have a guy give you a pap smear, like go see a midwife. I'm having an issue with my menstrual cup right now. TMI. Ask a midwife about (laughs) it. I need some serious help. Yeah. They're challenging. I don't understand that. (laughs) Yep. Anyone's listening, please give me advice. <laughs> well, let's circle back to Poco Farm mm-hmm. just to wrap it up here, yep. which is so sad. I can't believe we're I know. already having to wrap this it up. This is upsetting. Mm-hmm. But so you've had Poco Farm up and running for, you said, about four to five years. Mm-hmm. What do you hope to see in the next four to five years? Um, let's see. In the next four to five years, well, I hope to have a couple kids and, and like need to get a lot of help with our program. But in the next four to five years, I would love, love, love to, um, you know, increase the number of students that were that were uh, that are able to come out to the farm. Increase the number of adults that show up at the farm. We do monthly um, family on the farm tours. You can find on our website um, for people of all ages. And then. Um, I want to really expand our curriculum a little bit more, offer more like after school programs and internships and like kind of continuing learning situations for all these students. But I think mostly it's just um, reach a different demographic because like Miners Oaks is 43% Hispanic and I don't speak Spanish, which is a problem. Yeah. So like either I need to solve that in myself or I need to work with people who speak Spanish and like, oh gosh, there's like a whole bunch of cultural knowledge just from Mexico alone, forget all the other Central and Southern American countries, but about um, agriculture in this climate because they're farming in a pretty similar situation. And um, 
yeah, so that's what starting this nonprofit is about. Is, I was going to say, yep. and the nonprofit, but that's more of like a short-term Yeah, that's goal. that's just like right now I have amazing mamas who have a little extra money will like say, hey, you know, I'm sending my daughter to camp this year. If you want me to pay for another kid, I'm happy to. And then I always offer like scholarships that are available. Yeah, but it, it sounds like the nonprofit is an ends to a means of you being able to expand your programs and yes. give more to your community, Yes, which is amazing and super super exciting that's the concept because right now when I have kids who can't afford it you know either I have a mom that's offered to pay or it just comes right out from what I'm paying myself hourly so there are you know lots of times where like it's really hard to resist if a sweet kid wants to learn about farming you're like okay I just won't well this is kind of like your big thing in your life Mm -hmm. so it's like do I miss an opportunity to change somebody for the rest of their life I get where you're coming from Mm -hmm. it's like really yeah really hard yeah, well, and also my husband works at Patagonia, so, like, we're okay. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, a lot of farmers are in really tough economic positions, and that's not us, really, luckily. Mm-hmm. Praise be. Mm-hmm. I have, I did, I snuck a, a peek at Grace's little, she brought a little list, so I want you to look at oh, your yeah. list, and let's mm-hmm. give 30 seconds to each item. Because they oh, sound amazing. Okay. But let's get through these. Yes. So, well, I'm so on board for this. Yeah. <laughs> let's get through um, it. The, at the top, it says, disclaimer, you're not a real farmer. Which um, is so which is silly which, to me. Uh, but but it's just a thing that, like, I have not farmed for 40 years. I am a greenhorn. I'm just getting started. Our farm is miniature. I, you know, I'm learning really, really fast. And so. Uh, you're paying you homage. Know, you got to pay your so dues. You know. And you mm-hmm. got your time to put yeah, in. Yeah. I feel it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to mention briefly, if you're into podcasts, the Soil to Soil podcast. <laughs> we hope you're into podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently you are. Um, the Soil to Soil podcast is a really neat one. What is That's that one about? The Fiber Sheds okay, new perfect. podcast. And I'm obsessed. Can't I wait. Think the one I listened to recently had Stephanie Wilkes, who's a female sheep shearer on there. And Amazing. she, like, listen to that one alone because... She met, she walks through naming every person that had something to do with your item of wool clothing. Oh, and no. it's fascinating and like really, really special. And wow. it just feels like what we should be doing like before a meal because, you know, hopefully most people are eating three times a day every day. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. It's like when you're saying grace, you should really mm-hmm. be saying grace to all the hands that touch this. Totally. And if you're and saying grace to them. a God, like, you know, that God touched all those hands or whatever, yeah. you know, like it, it's, and you could do that for like 45 minutes I'm before sure. a meal. For every item <laughs> right. that's on the table. Yeah. But I think that's, that's a neat thing to like think about the ritual of eating. It's like, you know, other than breathing, and eating peeing. is like, right, right. You know, basic body functions, oh, like oh, eating is something we all, all have to do to survive and so it's this like really amazing you know so if you're an atheist or whatever you're still participating in this ritual every day and it whether it's at mcdonald's or you know picking food out of your garden or um you know honoring a farmer by by giving them your money or your time and trade for food like it it is absolutely a spiritual experience and i think that's what we're not acknowledging as a culture and and it's what like comes up like ding 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 when these kids put their hands in the dirt all and like you know harvest their own meal that day it's just 
Grace is taking me to church right now. I know. I'm loving it. (laughs) So just remember that you are participating in a sacred act, even if you're stuffing your face in and out, Mm -hmm. which I have done before. Um, And then I think that's about it on my little list here. We got through so much today. Um, I, last time we talked about organic certification and, and like what that means and, you know, that there are some pretty gnarly pesticides that are organic certified and all these things. But the crux of that whole conversation is when you're buying food at the farmer's market, because you can't do this when you buy food at the store, but, um, you know, ask the person who's working there, who's probably not the farmer themselves, but say like, I would love to learn more about the farm. Could I come visit? I, I would love to like hear more about your production, even get a list of everything you're applying, all the fertilizers and like everything that you have to report to your certification that you use because they have a piece of paper with a list of, and it's not just sprays totally and you're totally allowed to ask and oh they're gosh, totally, yeah. they're totally ready to answer yeah. that. And if you say it in a way like, I love buying your food every week, yeah. I want to learn more, I want to spread the word, tell me about what you do instead of like, you know, tell me what what chemicals you're yeah, poisoning like, my baby so you with, so you say you know. you're organic but right yeah yeah i think we because, talked about uh, this last time if you come from a place of curiosity right. in basically any realm of your life yeah people are so much more willing to totally. talk to you absolutely and something we talked about in, in addition to this was just use your local resources there's mm-hmm. local farmers that like love to pass this information on mm-hmm. and help and i mean well, it sounds like a lot of farmers are educators naturally just yep. because they know things, like well, a lot and of things. they have to be because they're selling a product that people, you know, won't pay more for organic food unless they understand why it costs more money. And so you have to educate or you have a tomato that's a weird color. You have to teach them that's normal or you don't have a living, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, but they, most farmers, if you get them started, love to talk about it, even though they're like weirdo introverts who, you know, chose their profession because they're not dying to talk to people steve sprinkle is way the exception like try to find that guy at farmer and the cook and just be like talk to me about what what you're thinking about agriculture right now and he'll just <laughs> blow your mind um but yeah i we you know we want to talk about what we're doing and and wendell berry who's an amazing writer that is um he writes fiction and poetry and nonfiction, uh you know centered around like agricultural life in america but he writes about so much more than that he has so much good stuff to say about everything my husband and i like had two readings from him at our wedding because he's just so phenomenal but you know he always says eating is an agricultural act and um and also says that like there's only one reason why farmers do what they do and it's love because you would not get into this you would not spend those long hours for any other reason Oh, I've yeah. got all the full body chills today again. <laughs> I, know, I know. I love it. Grace, it Grace. was such a pleasure. You're yeah. a How goddess. How lucky is Melissa and I <laughs> for getting to do so this sweet. twice with Grace? I know. Honestly, to get it to was sit so with you twice. And I'm so excited to be here. Uh, the last one was at our farm, which was, you know, loud and complicated. But being here and looking out over your garden, I'm so excited to walk through it with you. I and can't wait to show her all of our failures <laughs> and learning opportunities. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, let's go set some gopher traps or something. Oh my God. Let's we go caught fun. a gopher tra- yeah, gopher here and it was easily the most... Callie and I freaked out, had the best feminist moment ever. I literally texted a picture of a dead gopher to my dad <laughs> because I'm still that way when I'm very proud of myself. I'm like, I gotta tell my dad. And he was like, good job, honey. And I was like, yep. oh, yes, yeah. nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Yep. 
Well, it's it's an important moment as yeah. a farmer, and something I tried to one more teaching moment is like all that tofu that the vegans are eating. Like, guys, still a lot of animal death. You know, I don't know any vegetable farmers that don't kill gophers and ground squirrels. Right. Yeah. Get Sorry real. Guys. Sorry, guys. Get real for yeah. a second. It's a sweet thought, but not the reality. How much do you really care about animals? Exactly. That's yes. the real yeah. question. On that note, <laughs> On thank that you so much note. for your time. Amazing. Great. Thank, thank you, you so much. Okay, bye.